Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Mikoroi Hawkins. Coming up. We establish our commitment just to fight for the environment. We want to sustain. Community groups in Fiji's Namosi are fighting to stop mining from going ahead in their region and. We expect ongoing recovery in the Pacific and border reopening has been driving the recovery in most cases. We speak with the World Bank about their latest outlook for the region, which projects 3.9% growth offset by 6% inflation. But before we get into all that, Indonesian police say the New Zealand pilot taken hostage by rebels in February is in good health and negotiations for his safe release are ongoing. Juby reports Papua Police Chief Matthias Fahiri on Monday saying Philip Mertens remains in good health but did not expand on how he came by that information. Fakiri said the security forces were actively closing in on the West Papua Liberation Army faction led by Giannis Kongoya and were engaged in negotiations to secure the prompt release of the pilot. Meanwhile, Tempo is reporting Fakiri saying the local government is allowing community and church leaders and family members to take the lead on negotiating with the rebel leader, holding Mertens. For more than 10 years, community groups in the Namosi region in the highlands of Fiji's Vitilevu have been trying to stop a mine going ahead there. A joint venture led by Australian-based multinational Newcrest wants to develop an open-cast copper and gold mine. Newcrest says that the joint venture has been working hard to ensure the community is both aware of and consulted about its Waisoi project, which it stresses is still at the exploration and pre-feasibility stage. It says it's currently conducting technical studies, community consultation and stakeholder engagement to try and find a commercially, environmentally and socially acceptable development concept. Its exploration license is up for renewal and an NGO called LAMA or Lomani Au Maroroi Au has brought together almost all the landowners to lodge an objection to a renewal today. Spokesperson for LAMA, Sipiriano Nariva, told Don Wiseman that they are opposed to all mining because of the destruction of the environment that results from it. We established our committee just to fight for the environment. We are all committed to fight for the environment. We want to sustain because when we look at a kind of development like when we say mining, an open-cut mine, we don't talk about minerals. We don't talk about uh, us, the landowners. We talk about the environment. We have been left behind by the government. We have been left behind by the developer. They just want to come for the mine, but they will left us with, with their waste. We come across several years of exploration. We have been left behind. We have been victimized. We have been, our environment has been terminated by this uh, development. So that's why we formed this committee so that we can uh, propose or we can uh, try to object this kind of development. This company led by Newcrest, the joint venture led by Newcrest, it's looking for a license. I guess the expectation is it's going to get a license. You just want no license whatsoever. Or if they were able to give you some sort of guarantee about the environment and so on, opportunities or otherwise, or restoration work that they might do, would that satisfy you? Or is it just no mine? You're absolutely opposed to the mine starting. From our side, from the, the landowner's side, I've been representing them. It's a no. No, any kind of, any form of money, it's no. The company would say, well, look, it's going to create hundreds of jobs. If the company mentions that, it's good, but sustainable one, sustainable development, we accept that, not mine. 
what are the traditional economic activities in the Namosi region? From us, everything that's been provided by God in Namosi, everything is there. We plant, we sell our crops, fishing in the river, we food there in the environment, everything is there. And we plant, we sell our crops to the market. And the mining companies, no doubt, are going to come around with incentives to change people's minds. Will they have an impact, do you think, on some people? Uh, yes, John. Uh, they've been doing that uh, all around. They've been trying to influence, especially the, the elders. Eh? They're trying to, like, uh, doing some kind of project, the community. But the real thing we've been worried for is that the government been issuing the license. But never the government been creating an awareness to the landowners. But at the same time, the, the company giving them project and what, at the same time, they've been facing the outcomes of uh, the, the license. When the, they explore inside the Namos area, uh, the water quality is, is changed. The environment is a little bit changed. The taste of the fish. And uh, when they value those two things, they realize that it's a kind of bullshit. Accepting this kind of gift from uh, the companies. But in reality, what they face on the ground, it's a very, very... So when the joint venture has tried to meet with local people and explain what they're about, how successful has that process been? Yeah, we've been opening our doors to them every time. Last three weeks we have a meeting with the joint venture, with the nucleus staff. We have a meeting with them last three weeks, on the 4th of July. And I really explained to them what our stance are. So they are now trying to apply for the renewal of the license. Eh? On the 10th of this month, the, the, the license of, of SPL 1412 will be expired. Eh? So they want the, the landowners to give their consent or like doing a consultation before renew the license. So I already told them, well, what's the use of this uh, consultation? Well, we are not for that money. We are not for money. Enough. It's uh, just a topic. I told them, you go back and tell your company that we are not here for money. Enough. We had enough. So that's where our last meeting, eh? last month, July. So we're talking about a renewal of the license, renewal of the exploration license or the renewal of the oh, yeah. mining license. Yeah, of the exploration license. So they still have to apply for a mining license after that. Yeah, but they want to renew that license. Uh, I don't know about the mining license because we've been trying to, to ask the, the government for an objection to that, eh? I already sent a petition in uh, 2012 for the, for the previous government. Another in 2011, we asked the intervention of the government so that we can stop this development. But there's no response from the, from the government. From the previous government? Yeah, from the previous yeah. government. And the legislation it goes back to colonial times, hasn't changed. Yeah. So your group presumably would like to see some big changes made to mining legislation. I understand there is some mining legislation on the books for next year. We'll contribute to that, but from our side, any sort of mining, any kind of mining, we say no to mine. They, they've been telling us they do sustainable mining. No, there's no sustainable mining. Any sort of mining, to no more, we will say no, no to that. So while saying no to the money, well, money, there's, there's no use taking part in the legislation. Tourism, post-disaster rebuilding and infrastructure construction are driving economic growth in the Pacific this year. That's according to the World Bank's latest economic update for the region, which was released on Tuesday in Suva, Fiji. The report projects 3.9% growth for the Pacific this year. However, this is offset by elevated inflation rates, which are expected to sit at around 6% for the remainder of 2023. 
I spoke with the World Bank's economist for the Pacific, Rishika Singh, about the report's findings. Thank you so much for having me here today. Um, so yes, uh, just a quick snapshot on, on the update. We expect ongoing recovery in the Pacific and border reopening has been driving the recovery in most cases. So compared to our March focus, while there has been some revisions in both directions, the outlook is broadly in line with the March forecasts. And we see that the region's growth will be driven by tourism-based economies with growth more than double than that of non-tourism-based economies. So in tourism-based economies, we see a, we forecast a growth of 6.2% for 2023. And for non-tourism-based, we forecast a growth of 2.5%. And for the Pacific region as a whole, it is expected to grow by 3.9% in 2023, 3.3% in 2024, and slow to the region's long-term trend growth of approximately 2.6%. So that's the story on the growth side. And uh, on the inflation front, the, the inflation rate in the Pacific region averaged 6.7% in 2022 compared to 1.5% average from 2019 to 2021. So that has been a huge increase. And now the region continues to battle high inflation and the report provides some specific numbers whereby some countries like Fiji have a relatively smaller inflation, but countries like Samoa and Vanuatu have pretty high inflation ranging from 10 to uh, uh, 10, 8 to 10%, sorry. Um, and we see that, you know, uh, from compared to the March forecast, projections have been mostly revised upwards amid continued supply chain disruptions and spillovers from the Russia's invasion of Ukraine that, that continue to put pressure on food and fuel prices. And as you are aware, Kuroi, the fact is that Pacific countries rely heavily on energy and food imports, and they are price takers. And, and, and on average, you know, full and uh, food imports together account for almost 40% of merchandise imports in the Pacific, which is more than double that of the East Asia Pacific average. So just, just taking you through the projection for 2023, we expect inflation to remain elevated at 6% in 2023 and only subside gradually over time. What we are concerned about is that, you know, this persistently high inflation has increased the risk of vulnerable population falling into poverty. And, and we have conducted some simulations in Tonga and Kiribati as examples. And uh, this is also based on data availability. And we see that, you know, there's potential of between 3,000 to 10,000 more people falling into poverty if adequate mitigation measures are not uh, put in place. Thank you for that very... Um... Really good sum up of all of the findings. Um, my question, uh, first of all, is what, what does adequate measures look like in terms of preventing people from falling into poverty? Oh, thank you. Thank you for that question and very important one, Koroi. So as you know, you know, inflation is felt by everyone, but most of the impact, you know, the poor and vulnerable feel it more. So in terms of uh, one of the recommendations that the report provides is, you know, targeted and adaptive social protection measures. So this is this has come out as as key. And we feel that, you know, while, you know, during COVID, the government, the Pacific governments have been implementing some measures to, you know, protect the poor and vulnerable. But in some cases, you know, even the rich benefit. So to help governments with fiscal consolidation as well, so that it's not a burden on the government as well, the, the social protection measures need to be targeted and adaptive. By adaptive, I mean, 
you know, it has to be, if, if social protection measures are adaptive, it is responsive to any future shocks or, uh, you know, natural disasters as well. And, and that would help like uh, uh, governments know who are the poor and vulnerable, where they are located, so they can provide timely assistance. And in this area, I must highlight, Koroi, that the World Bank has been supporting a number of uh, Pacific Island countries, including Fiji and Samoa, to help them make their social protection systems more uh, adaptive. And, and this is where we feel, you know, that we can, we can make the most impact in terms of reaching the poor and vulnerable in time. And just on that, the um, correct me if I'm wrong. Pacific governments tend not to be very good at this stuff, right? In terms of formal social protections, they kind of rely on the village systems and the cultural safety net in terms of of civil civil support. Is that right? Is that why this needs to be developed? Thank you, Koroi. So. I must say that, you know, COVID, like everything else, you know, in all other areas have taught us a lesson. So, yes, indeed, previously, there was not so much attention on adaptive social protection, but COVID has driven us to think and rethink about these things. So I think that's where there is now more openness to, you know, to, to develop the system in such a way that, you know, like, like, like COVID experience, right? We don't have to run around and find systems how we can reach out to the poor and vulnerable, but have the system ready and make it adaptive. So, you know, be it a natural disaster or, a, or an external shock or like a health shock, we are able to reach people in time and in, in, and in a manner that does not put pressure on, on government's books as well. That's specific waves for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rinzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. For myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, Tofa Soifor.